My purpose in life is to leave my dent in the universe in absolutely everything I do, as well as to inspire and help others do the same. For someone to leave their dent in my life is a privilege. For me to leave my dent in someone else's life is an honor. But to inspire and help others leave their own dent in the universe is an indescribable feeling. I plan on doing this through this podcast by celebrating my guests and inspiring my listeners, all while leaving my own dent in the universe and helping others do the same. My name is Fer Andrade, and this is Denting. Before we begin today's episode, I'd just like to point out that there is a part one and part two to this episode. I had a great talk with Lacey, but this was so good that it lasted two and a half hours. So the first part will end pretty much randomly at some point in the middle, and then part two will be out very soon. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Denting. Today, I have a special guest, uh, a special edition back home in San Diego right now. Um, lots to talk about. Very excited, which for many reasons I'll explain why right now. But Lacey, how are you? I'm I'm so good. How are you? <laughs> very good. I'm I'm very excited to do this. Um, you are the first student from OLP that I have here on the podcast. Represent. Shout out OLP. Um, but yeah, for those that don't know, OLP is an all girls Catholic school in San Diego. I went to the all boys Catholic school in San Diego, so it's like a sibling school, and yeah, I mean, before we dive uh, deeper into it, do you want to introduce yourself for those that may not know you? Um, Yes, Um, my name is Lacey Yonke, I'm normally um, not in this position getting interviewed, I'm normally doing the interviewing and asking all the questions, so this is a little uncomfortable with me, for me, (laughs) so bear with me, but um, no, I... um, I am a sports journalist. I just graduated from Santa Clara University in June. Um, I was also a uh, Division One student athlete. Um, I ran track and field at Santa Clara, and I also ran track and field um, in high school, obviously, and played a lot of sports in high school. And was over at the you know Saints All Boys campus a lot. So uh, um, that's where I met you. So that's very exciting. It's it's good to be back here in San Diego for a little bit, but. Um, I'm currently sort of in between roles right now um, and have a lot of a lot of different things to talk about, I think, that we'll probably get into, um, but that's kind of where I'll start, I guess, okay. in introducing myself. Yeah, perfect. Um, so I, I do know that you did play many sports growing up. I know that you were a runner, which, like you said, that's where we met. I did one year of track and field, and that, <laughs> yeah, that was it. Um, but that's where we met. I think it's cool that track is like a, a big family in a way um, because mm-hmm. there's so many different events, so many different people. And I remember at the meets, it's it was a ridiculous amount of people and you could like just socialize and hang out while you were waiting for your event. And I think in one of those times we, we met, but it's very cool because, I mean, I haven't previously talked to you, but it was always like, even from there, like, your hard work, like running and who you were, it was like very inspiring and it was cool. And like I was telling you before this, like that's the reason I started the podcast, you know, to like get to know people like this and have those conversations. So very exciting. But how did you get into running? And I know you played baseball as well. So 
tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Um, well, thank, thank you for the kind words. Um, I, yeah, so I started running um, when I was a freshman in high school. And before that, I had played baseball um, for the first 17 years of my life. I actually started when I was five and, you know, my, my parents stuck me in uh, t-ball when I was um, five years old with, you know, all the little boys and girl. back then it didn't matter if you were boy or girl, you just played t-ball and, you know, got out there and pretty much was just having fun as a, as a kid. And then around the age of eight or nine was when maybe the girls started switching to softball and it just never even occurred to me to switch. I just never even like thought that that was even really an option. And um, I just never really, you know, back then you're not diving into the reasons why like gender exists in sports or anything, but I just, it just never really phased me ever. Um, and I just continued to play baseball until I was uh, 17 years old. So I played until all the way through the end of my freshman year. Um, and so I played at this local, um, this local little league called Tecalote, which is a little spot in my neighborhood. And, um, a lot of, a lot of Saints, um, graduates actually played there as well. And that's sort of where I kind of fell in love with sports. I mean, baseball was pretty much every part of my life. My, my dad and I were, um, were super, are super close. And a lot of it has to do because we started, I started playing baseball with him and we'd go over to the field and go to practices together and stay afterwards and hit ground balls and, you know, go to the cages before every single game. And we had this crazy bond, my, my dad and I, that, um, you know, it's, it's definitely like the girl, the girl dad bond for sure. But, um, it's a little bit more than that now, you know, I would stay up late and watch games with him and watch sports center with him and go to baseball. I was so excited to just be around baseball and be around the field. And I, it never even occurred to me that, that I was, uh, the only girl. Um, and yeah, I remember like playing at different tournaments for, I played club travel ball, uh, starting at the age of probably 15 or 16. Okay. Um, aside from this little league. So I, I played little league all the way through and I was, um, I think I was the first girl. I don't know if I was the first girl. I was definitely one of the, um, few that had gone all the way through and played, um, you know, little league all the way through the last level. And then that was in eighth grade and then it's time to kind of go to high school and I was kind of trying to figure out, you know, if I wanted to uh, go to a public high school where I could play baseball possibly, but then I also was, was really interested in running and track and field and baseball are the same season. So yeah. I wasn't, um, I thought I wasn't going to be able to work out and I, my parents really wanted me to go to Catholic school and OLP was just kind of always the option and I wasn't incredibly excited to originally go to OLP. I didn't really think about, I, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely more of a tomboy and I don't have a... I get along with girls just fine now, but back then I was kind of just anxious, more anxious around girls. I just clicked a lot more with guys. I was always um, just around guys my whole life. So I just kind of, you know, vibe with that a lot more. And I was never, never really dramatic, never really got into, you know, really diving into more girly things, I guess, back then it was a bigger deal. But um, yeah, so I, OLP was kind of a little bit off the radar for me. And then my parents were really pretty adamant about going to that school just because of how much they heard about just the graduates from there and you know the curriculum and just having it be such a more well-rounded sort of form of education so I chose to go there and um, I kept playing baseball all the way all the way through my freshman year and played for this travel ball team um, it was called team combat I remember I don't think they're still around but um, there were other you know bigger little leagues like San Diego Stars and the show and 
there were other, you know, bigger name teams, and this was sort of a smaller um, travel ball team. And I played there for about two years, and I played for, there was an A and a B team, and some of the, I kind of went back and forth between the A and the B team, depending on who needed someone for, you know, pinch running or center field that tournament weekend or something. And um, I remember just playing. There's a few a few guys that are now in the minor league system that I that I played with. Um, a couple guys that just got drafted. Some guy that's been in the A's organization for a while. And it's just crazy thinking back to playing with those guys because I, you know, it's like crazy seeing their names getting drafted on MLB tonight. Um, and I was always, you know, playing. I played second base. Yeah. Um, my arm wasn't necessarily strong enough to play a different side of the infield and. Um, but what I was going to say is playing this with this travel ball team, um, just before I started playing with them, I got involved with, I started hearing a little bit more about girls baseball and I was always the only girl. Yeah. yeah and that was, uh, the USA dream team, right? Yes. All right. Tell yeah. me a bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I, my, let's see, eighth grade, maybe I started really understanding and, and realizing that I was the only girl all the time and this never really was a huge issue. I, um, in hindsight, it's easy to look back and understand, okay, there was a lot of like nuanced sort of quote unquote, just mistreatment or inequality that I experienced. But in the moment, I didn't necessarily think too much of it, but just there were a lot of times where coaches always gave me the f- a fair opportunity. And there were, there were a few coaches that didn't. Um, and they're now looking back, I can say, oh, you know, that was probably not, not right, but I didn't really note it, note it at the time. Um, but my travel ball coach for this team combat was one of the people that was just so inclusive and he really pushed me to believe in myself and understand that just because I am a girl that I can, I deserve, you know, just as much of a, a leg up on the field as any of the guys. And I didn't need to necessarily think of myself that way. And, um, but he also kind of understood that being a girl and being the only one all the time was, there's a lot of pressure to that as well. Um, so my dad and I actually started looking into some of the girls, other girls that had played baseball throughout the country. And there are two girls, um, one's name is Jade Gorteras and the other one's name is Kelsey Whitmore. And the two of them, one lives in Temecula and another one lives in Riverside. And they had reached out, um, through Facebook. And that was when Facebook was just beginning, I feel, or not just beginning, but at least a lot more people were starting to get on it. And they had been the only girls on their high school baseball teams as well. And so um, kind of came into contact with them and started learning more about this um, dream team, which is essentially composed of like 15 girls from across the country. Um, it was an all-girls travel ball team. And um, a couple of us were based out of California, like I just said, but then a lot of people, some were from Chicago, some were from Florida, Wisconsin, um, Seattle. Everyone was just kind of all over. And we actually organized essentially through Facebook and started traveling to different um, states to play in these all boys travel ball tournaments. And that was the first time that I, that, the first time I remember walking up to one of these tournaments and having a team full of, you know, all girls there. Um, so let me just pause you there real quick. Mm-hmm. It's, this was during high school or, or when was it? This was right before high school. So right before high school and you're playing all boys tournaments on an all girls team. Yes. All right. Continue. Yes. Yes. So, and, uh, some of these tournaments, um, it was kind of a weird age, age limit where some of us were 
16, 17, and the other, some of us were like 13, 14. So it was, this is not many girls that play. So we have, we always had to enter the tournaments that were for the 16, 17 year olds. Um, so there was kind of, sometimes there was a little bit of a weird age imbalance there, but I thought, I always thought that that was kind of cool, but, um, I always kind of tell this for context. Um, the reason why girls baseball is even really an, a topic or, or sort of, um, yeah, a topic of conversation is because back in 2004 or 2005, baseball got removed from the Olympics because, and softball, because for more or less, it's a lot of complicated reasons, but more or less baseball and softball technically are not they're they're even though baseball is like the the male version of softball and softball is the male version of baseball it's not they're not offered to both genders like baseball wasn't offered to both men and women yeah and baseball is massive in other parts of the world especially um in a lot of asian countries and so um the u.s was like oh we need to start uh, a team to get they wanted baseball back in the olympics it's a big money maker for them so um they wanted baseball back in and softball so they created um, the U.S. Women's National Team yeah. for women, and this was back, you know, back before I could, you know, walk really. So I back when it started, but around 2008 was when it kind of started to bloom a little bit and blossom, and um, I kind of started hearing about that through this Dream Team organization. This Dream Team organization was sort of a, a smaller, just a just a team. It wasn't it wasn't a nationwide organization. It was just a, t- a team that would play at different tournaments, and um, we kind of started this this. I don't want to say started, but maybe we kind of just inspired a lot of young girls to realize that okay, I'm not the only one out here. I don't have to be playing with just boys all the time. We would travel to different. Um, tournaments across the country and so many young girls would come up and ask for you know autographs and ask for how we got into this lots of parents were super interested in it Um, and from there kind of turned into this organization called baseball for all Mm. Um, it's called BFA for short and they're basically a nonprofit organization that um, is now a lot bigger when I first started playing it was a lot smaller but just kind of recruiting girls and holding holding little camps and tournaments across the country to try and get more girls to join um and realize that when you turn seven or turn eight you know you don't have the you don't have to switch if you don't want to or you don't have to switch if you if you don't even see a need to because um and i think growing up at a time where this just started i think it was so cool to be sort of like one of the i don't know quote-unquote like founding members of it or, or just had become one of the first faces of it. Um, but looking back on it now, um, I've kind of been involved with the baseball for all stuff for a little bit. And just looking back on the resources now, it's so cool to see. I mean, they have tournaments where they have 15, 20 teams of girls, not just one team like the dream team was. Um, and this baseball for all has like over 2000 girls that come and, and join and play in their tournaments every day versus the 20, 15 or 20. And then we were talking, you know, 15 years ago, Yeah. um, that this, that this um, national team even started. So now the national team, the national team hosted little camps, um, basically like de- developmental camps um, in North Carolina. And I went every single year and it would be me and <laughs> all the girls from the dream team, um, girls that had played softball in college that were still kind of dabbling with baseball a little bit, but just kind of were a little too old to hit the age group. and. The Kelsey Whitmore and Jade, who I previously met, mentioned, 
they still play for the national team now. Wow. Um, and they played high school baseball all the way through their senior year, and then they switched and played softball. And I, I always say this, these two girls were so good. Like, they were, oh my, I... I, I was a good ball player, but these two girls were twice my size, and I was always, you know, pretty skinny and scrawny, and I was a kind of a scrappy player. These two girls were like, oh my, oh my gosh! The, one of them, both of them pitched, but two of them played. One played center field, another played shortstop. These girls were just absolute beasts, and um, they played one game of softball at the, each of the end of their high school careers, just to get recruited to play college. And they got recruited instantly to like top ten, Division one softball programs. Yeah. One plays for Fullerton, and the other one played for University of Texas. Like, they're these these girls could ball. So it was just cool being on the field for them for such a short time, and it was just such an awesome community um, that I got involved with, and we still talk a lot. And um, it's just interesting to to see where this program is going. And I definitely they're gonna baseball is. This, is, was back in the, was in the Olympics in 2020, and it wasn't offered for women yet, um, but I, I think it will be. Um, eventually, it just kind of needs to keep growing a little bit and needs a little a few more years, I think, to develop. But, um, but yeah, to answer your first question, from there, I, I was always called upon to pinch run, and okay. um, <laughs> especially at some of the bigger levels, there was a point where, uh, especially at my freshman year of high school, I was playing these games with you know, varsity players across San Diego. And these boys were massive. This is for this travel ball team. So again, only girl travel ball team in San Diego playing out in, you know, Poway and Riverside going up to Northern California, just traveling kind of all over with this team. And, um, there got to be a point where I was standing next to some of the guys, you know, on the line or on the field. And, you know, my mom always said, like, oh, they're, they're three times your size. Like, this is kind of – you could get hurt out there. Like, yeah. it, it kind of got to a point where um, I was starting to fall out of love with it a little bit. Um, and I, I don't know if I ever really fell out of love, I want to say, but I fell more in love with running. Um, Why was that that you fell in love with running? Like, how did you find out? Yeah. Um, well, I always loved running the mile in P.E., mm. Everyone hated running the mile in PE. That was the, everyone, every kid's worst sentence was the PE coach telling everyone to run the mile PE. And I was always ecstatic to run the mile. And I would always, you know, it back then you felt like it was like your own little Olympics running the mile and beating everyone. But, um, but I always, I always just loved running the mile at PE. And I also loved pinch running whenever I, in baseball. And as silly as that sounds, you know, you're only running 90 feet. Um, but I always just felt kind of on fire when I was running and um I think the first I was thinking about this the other day the first time that I ran for an extended period of time longer than you know 10 minutes or something I ran six miles one day and I came home and I looked down at my watch and I was just I just kept running in my neighborhood I was just doing like loops around my little neighborhood block and I came home and I was like mom I ran six miles and she was like what the heck you're 10 how did yeah. you do that <laughs> um and I just, it didn't even phase me, like running, that's when the moment I kind of really fell in love with it was just realizing how good I felt and how, it wasn't so much of a mental escape back then, it is now um, a little bit, but back then I just, I just, it's something, I just connected with it. Um, I'm sure you could say the same with, with soccer, like you, you, it's almost sort of like transcendental, you don't really have, it's not really explainable, I guess, I just, I just fell in love with the act that it's just you against time and you against your own mind and 
and that's kind of all you need to run all you need to run you really don't even need a pair of shoes if you want yeah. um you know that's kind of how i felt with with track actually because oh, with yeah. soccer i mean i fell in love with the game and forgot like lost track of time and everything but with track what you mentioned at the end was my biggest lesson for sure because soccer is i mean 11 versus 11 right right, right. and it's teamwork and uh, the only way to measure success is how many times you put the ball in the net and mm-hmm. how many times the opponents see the same to you. And in track, it's sure there's like team points, especially in college, but there's also you individually against the opponent, but most importantly, it's you against your own time. So what would I call it? It's, it's you versus you. And it's mm-hmm. so like accentuated there. Um, in that type of sport, like in, in track or like previous uh, guests that I've had on the podcast, either uh, throwers for, for track or, or swimmers as well. It's like, it's you against the time. And it's, I mean, I'm not sure if at that high of a level, they're, they're even thinking about it that way because they may be focused on their opponent as well, right. um, which may be the case for you. But for me, since, especially since I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't care too much, but I was doing it mostly for myself and my own fitness, like to push myself on top of soccer because I was doing track and soccer at the same time. Right. And um, for me, it was just like, yeah, just push your, your time, push your fitness. It's mm-hmm. you versus you. Mm-hmm. And that was like my biggest takeaway from, from that experience as well. But that's awesome with baseball. Um, to close that part mm-hmm. for a bit, how were your parents throughout this whole time? I mean, I know you you just mentioned that your mom at one point was like, well, I don't want you to get hurt for obvious reasons, right? Yeah. There reaches a point where it's just the physical differences are just very obvious. Um, even for me, like mm-hmm. right, baseball right. players are also like way bigger than yeah. me. So, so I completely relate to that. Um, but how is it, you mentioned your relationship with your dad and that girl dad sort of, uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. How was that throughout your entire time? Because like you said, at eight years old, uh, eight years old, uh, girls go to softball. You stayed the whole time. Were they supportive the entire time or, or was it just like normal for you, for you the mm-hmm. entire way? You didn't know anything else, right? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know anything else, um, but if I was to actually kind of look back on that experience, my parents were incredibly supportive the whole time, um, and my mom really only noticed sort of the size difference. There was that sort of like pivotal year, right, when you're in eighth grade, and then all of a sudden you're in high school, and then the boys are just massive, and um, so there was almost just like that shock value to her, but if I had said, no, I really want to keep playing, she would have 100% said, absolutely. Um, but my dad, I remember when I told him that I wanted to stop playing baseball and, um, just focus on running, he was a little hesitant at first. He definitely was, um, not upset, but just, just a little bummed out. I think not at the fact that I was stopping playing baseball. Like it wasn't, you know, incredibly, it wasn't that dramatic. I think, I think though he was a little bit bummed about the fact that our relationship as it stood then was going to change because he didn't know that much about running. Running wasn't something that he could do with me. Um, and running sort of became my own passion that I, I really did forge myself in terms of like the training and, and he was there through that and helping me, you know, look for colleges and talk to coaches. And he was with me throughout the whole recruiting process, but with baseball, it was something that I would 
ask him, you know, can we stay after practice and, and, you know, play catch for 30 minutes? Can we stay after and hit 50 ground balls at the end of this practice? Can we go to the cage before? It was the time that we had spent together, I think, that um, he think, I think he just realized that that was sort of a chapter that he was closing and I was closing too. And, um, that sort of element, I think he was bummed to be missing and he dove, he dove right into the running world and, you know, as, as little as he, he did know about it, he tried his best to learn. And, um, that aspect was awesome from him too, but there was definitely a hesitation. I think, and he, I think he was just more so bummed out. I th- also just think he loved the fact that I was the only girl out there. I mean, yeah. he, he got to bond with so many of the my teammates' dads, and they, we were all friends, and the whole friend group lived in the Tecalote. is like a small little neighborhood almost, and so, um, you know, it was sort of like the end of an era, more so than it was the end of a of a career, per se, um, but I still, I last year, every year for Thanksgiving when I came home from school, pretty much, I would ask my dad if we can go hit grounders, and his, you know, he, he'll never admit it, but his arm is kind of given out, and you know, he can't really, he can't really play catch that much anymore, but, um, but I always, you know, wanted to go to the cages still afterwards. You know, I still, I still would totally do that. I play catch pretty often still. So, um, I don't know. I think it's more so the relationship between us that just grew in a new way, but it definitely changed when I decided to stop. Yeah. And I mean, that's baseball that is track and running mostly because there's also the cross country aspect. Yeah. When did writing start? Was that in high school or was that in college? Writing was all was all college. All right. So, going through high school, you how did you decide on Santa Clara? Yeah. So I decided. I actually committed to Santa Clara pretty early on. I decided to commit there right after my official visit. Um, okay. I took a couple official visits to some other schools, some other bigger schools, but um, immediately I decided, decided on Santa Clara because the mm-hmm. team. Um, the men's and women's team was very close. I took a um, an unofficial visit to San Diego State, and they didn't have a men's team. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly enough, now that I say that I grew up pretty much all around boys, I really did want, and I think a lot of that had to do with OLP, and I think a lot of that had to do with the women's national developmental team. Having that community of girls, I really wanted um, a strong sense of family within a girls' running program, but I also wanted that that male team connection too. I wanted that to be sort of a bigger family and um, having gone to OLP and Saints, I mean, it's, it is very separated. So I wanted that. So a lot of schools that I went to didn't necessarily offer a men's program. Um, so Santa Clara offered that. And then the size of the school, I, I just loved the size of the campus. I love the campus. It's a beautiful campus, but I also just loved the size and how small and tight knit. I mean, I remember, I remember walking around with my, you know, former teammates, but then I was, you know, on my recruiting visit, as you know, so I was all intimidated and I just remember walking around with them and they were, you know, seeing every, seeing people that they knew almost literally like recognizing everyone. It's such a small school that you kind of, it has that sort of high school feel in just a much bigger way. Um, and you really felt like a sense of belonging there. And so aside from even the running program, um, just the team itself was really close. So that's what I really, what gravitated me to go there first and foremost, but other than that, um, you know, the campus sold me right away as well. Um, and the coaches were also really close with their teammates, with the teammates too. And I just noticed that even just riding along in the car and playing music and the coach singing and 
we were all just kind of one big family, which was a big component of, of why I chose to go there. Yeah, and I'm, I'm asking that actually because I've been to Santa Clara uh, twice now. The first time was with my academy team back in high school. Mm-hmm. And the second time was this past, uh, this past fall, actually, like a few weeks ago, because oh. we played against Santa Clara. And it was a quick reminder for me um, that I love that campus yeah. so much. Yeah. Like everything about it, it's mm-hmm. how small it is, how nice it is, everything. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. And I always say, mostly in a like, yeah, more of a joke than actually like saying it. But if, if I didn't care about soccer, like if soccer weren't in the picture, I would have loved to have gone to Santa Clara. Right. Because the school just itself is like, like you said, it's smaller. I I just love the campus itself. Um, looking back at it now, I'm very glad I went to Berkeley mm-hmm. because it just changed my entire life as I right. knew it. I was in a in a bubble, like I had mentioned a, a bit uh-huh. ago off podcast. But um, yeah, like being in campus that's this big and and everything, it's it's helped me out a lot. But I just wanted to ask because Santa Clara is like. In a way, it's like similar to the bubble that we were in before. Yeah, but, exactly. But it's it's beautiful. Yeah, um, I I hundred I always think that too. You know, that I think that's you've probably heard this going through the recruiting process too. But it's like, oh, if the sport didn't exist, if you got injured, you know, would you still want to go to the school? And my answer to that is definitely yes. But I agree. I think looking back on it, going to a place like Berkeley and having so many perspectives and human voices and just different people from different cultures in the same room, I think, at a bigger university is something um, that Santa Clara didn't offer as much. And I think if I, you know, if track wasn't an option or something, it's funny, you know, you always look at the other person's perspective, grass is always greener kind of thing, but I would have loved to even go to a school like that where you are offered so much different perspective too. So it's just interesting always talking to athletes because it's like, oh, you know, they always choose to go to the school they they chose for the sport, but you know, there's always, there's always other options too. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And well, you, you get to Santa Clara and you, I mean, you had a lot of improvements with your, with your times throughout the years. Um, I mean, I have some of your, your times down from, from freshman year to sophomore year, you dropped like, what was it? Almost two entire minutes in your, in your 6k, which is crazy. Um, yeah, you kept it improving as well in the, in the 800 by like, Mm -hmm. you dropped a total of seven Mm -hmm. seconds from freshman to junior year. How was that? And how, yeah, how was that experience and how did you slowly start getting into journalism and yeah, how was, how was that? Yeah, it's funny that you actually mentioned that. Um, so my running career was not, um, if I was looking at coming into Santa Clara right when I started as a freshman, I would not have pictured my sort of next four years to go the way they did. Um, I, so my freshman year, I came in and there was just so much change. And I think with female athletes specifically, every athlete definitely goes through so much change and there's just a lot of sort of up in the air. You go from, you know, being oftentimes the best on your high school team and then you go to a college team, division one team, where you're just a, another, you know, member of the team, often riding the bench or, you know, not making the travel team for different events. So that definitely took a toll on me. But, um, and, I think for female athletes too, in that time frame, your body changes, you're going through so much 
different changes hormonally and emotionally and mentally and physically. And there's just a lot that I think happened my freshman year that um, I didn't have a good freshman year for in terms of my t- my times for my standards of myself. I mean, in high my senior year and junior year of high school OP. Um, I ran really well and um, qualified for CIF both years and went to the finals both years and um, and got to state and cross country and things like that. So I just, I had a lot of high standards for myself and I think my freshman year was just a big wake-up call in terms of, okay, this is what it really means to train. This is what it means to run 40, 45 miles a week. Um, you know, at OLP, there wasn't really, I didn't necessarily have a solid training plan um, I was running on a lot of natural talent, and um, when I got to college, it was immediately humbled me in terms of, okay, you're going to have to run X amount of miles a week, you're going to have to log them all, you're going to have to go to weights three times a week, you're going to have to double, which is running twice in one day, you're going to have to, you know, it was a strict schedule, and freshman year, that really just kind of, it didn't rattle me, but I wouldn't say rattled, but like, it definitely changed the way I I thought about my running career, and then sophomore year, um, I came in with, you know, kind of guns a blazing, just incredibly motivated, took an entire, took that whole summer to, to train and, and really kind of work my, I mean, I'm not allowed to say ass. You can say whatever you want on this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, work my ass off and, and train um, for the start of sophomore year across country. And that season went really, really well for me and going into winter indoor track, um, I actually had pretty bad plantar fasciitis, which um, for people that don't know is one of the most nagging, awful injuries in running. It's basically just a, a, a kind of a tear, micro tears in, your, in the arch of your foot. And so during my sophomore year, um, I was coming around the final turn of an 800 and I came up for the final you know, 150 and I came up on my kick and came up on my toes to start sprinting and ruptured the right arch of my foot which I had the worst case of plantar fasciitis in and I ended up I, I think I, I think I tore it around like the 80 meter mark Damn. and I just had so much adrenaline that I just kind of kept finishing it but I, I crossed the line and I was kind of like keeled over and I took one step um, and I just couldn't even I just kind of collapsed on the ground because my my arch was kind of gone <laughs> essentially or just in half um, and I had to basically get that looked at and was in a boot for eight weeks and my whole season was over, sophomore year. And then um, junior year, or the summer before my junior year, I actually traveled and spent eight weeks in Bolivia. Yes. Um, yeah, which we can go over later, but that was a whole experience because I was living in Bolivia for eight weeks and it was at 10,000 feet of elevation and the food was different. The culture was different. I was the only girl there, which is just a, we'll get into that later probably. But, um, yeah. And I, I had a parasite for the last three weeks. It was just a crazy experience, but, um, the train, my training there wasn't as rock solid as I wanted it to be, but it was enough. So cross country that fall wasn't great, but I kind of got back on track in junior year. Um, I really, that was when I really saw a ton of improvement in terms of my time. And, um, I was just always, my dad had instilled this in me. Um, but I was always kind of like the first person to get there, last person to leave at practice. Um, and you know, showing up, maybe not always in like the greatest attitude, but, um, just showing up with a lot of drive and showing up, you know, first every day trying to, you know, either put people in good mood or trying to rally the troops sort of, and then 
kind of being the last person to leave, last person to do core, you know, take that extra time to do flexibility work or sit down with the, with the weight coach. I always loved weightlifting, um, sit down with the weight coach and sort of do that extra stuff. And, um, so that was really kind of just crushing junior year when COVID hit because that, um, we had run two meets. So I had already seen, you know, a big difference in jump in my times. And, um, those times were similar to sort of what I was running, um, in high school. And so then I was just really feeling a lot of momentum and really feeling, feeling like I could knock off a, a large chunk and, and really improve and, um, consistently make the travel team for, for that whole junior and, and definitely for senior year. And then COVID happened. Um, so the whole, you know, season was canceled and, um, put on, put on pause for a while. And then training was just an absolute mess, but I did, I did train all the way through, my junior year may just on my own back in san diego everyone you know everyone came home for that and um so that's may 2020 may 2020 and actually i and this is kind of a full circle moment with my dad earlier because i for the longest time um and that that was my first year as a captain of the team and so for the longest time my coach was kind of like okay we need to keep rallying people we need to have people keep training and so a lot of our team was was actually really well we actually ran the my last meet was a meet at cal the cal opener right? yeah, yeah 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 um and i had lost i i got out edged by this by this girl it was a really fun race um and i just got out edged by this girl at the very end and it was the first time that it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't exactly the time that I was in totally wanting to run. I, I definitely felt like I had more in the tank and I could have, I could have run a lot faster as the, as the, that season had gone on. I was just feeling really strong and that was definitely the fittest I'd ever been, but it was just a fun race. Cause it kind of reminded me to fall. It kind of made me fall back in love with it a little bit. I think you go through waves a little bit in terms of your athletic career and figuring out if this is really what you want to do. And after traveling and spending that whole summer abroad, I was kind of like, oh, you know, having all these perspective shifts and everything. And I just realized, okay, like running, this is definitely where I want to be. This is the space that I want to be just very athletically driven at that point. And, um, when COVID happened, I just kind of kept that momentum going. And, um, my coach was like, oh, you, you know, we need to keep people motivated. So we did, you know, the zoom core sessions and <laughs> trying to get people to keep logging their miles and all that. And, um, People, some people just kind of got injured really without having the support of the training staff and all that, having to train from home and other people lost motivation or, you know, terrible time for everyone at that point. So, but I just kept kind of moving through it. And I told my dad, I said, I, the most miles I had ever run, um, in terms of a training session was 16. And that was for one of the long runs, um, on one Sunday during, during the years. And I told my dad, I, I really want to run 17. And my dad, you know, he's no runner by any means. And he didn't, didn't know as much about running or just the training cycle. He's like, okay, let's do it. And, um, so for two months, essentially I kind of stuck to my own, my same training plan that our coach gave it. Our coach would email us the same workouts every week. So, you know, you're showing up to, I would think, I think I went to the USD turf field a couple times. I went to Claremont track, snuck in, like hopping over fences to do these workouts in COVID with no meets to really do. So I think this was like the, the time where I was like the most driven, you know, no one's watching you. No, there's no clock. There's no time that's going to capture a certain time. You know, I think I ran like a few 800 meter time trials, you know, I had run 221 and 219 another time. So I was, I was seeing that improvement, but 
I, I, there was, it, nothing was official, nothing, you know, that can come up on a stat sheet or anything that, like that. That's crazy because, I mean, the, the Cal opener was 223 and you're mentioning 219. Yeah. That's a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, it was, it, and it made, you know, that made me feel good, but I, I was getting a lot of enjoyment actually with just trying to see if I could push this, for whatever reason, 17 mile run. And it didn't really necessarily like, mean anything significantly you know any a lot of people can go out and do that and on on my team you know a lot of people we had some really freaking badass girls on my team that 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 could run and i was more middle distance so running longer was more daunting for me um and so on i i always remember it was the last day of the training cycle in may and my dad got on his bike and we ran 17 miles we ran all the way from my house out to sunset cliffs did the loop around sunset cliffs came back ran down Mission Bay and finished at the loop at my house. And wow. I, the last mile, I think I ran in like 5.53. Like I, I, I was like moving the, the, the last, cause I was just so motivated by this weird, kind of arbitrary goal. But you know, my dad was on the bike in front of me and I, I remember finishing and just kind of like crying. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I was, I was just so proud of that, of that training block because it almost because it didn't, I didn't have a time to really go off of it. I didn't really have a, I, I didn't have a stat line or, or, or yeah, a personal best to really show for it. I just kind of had my own mental drive and my own sort of perspective to really go with it. And I was just, it left me feeling super confident. And um, I remember coming back saying like, okay, well, when, when COVID subsides and we get back to training full time like that's the kind of energy and mentality that I want to bring into next year and and then you know in the fall the season didn't cross country didn't happen and then in the spring it still didn't really happen and we didn't have much any of anything going on in the winter time um so that's you know early of January and February of this of this past year um and then we had one we had one meet in um, April at Westmont College, I think, okay. with a couple different other Division One schools, and it was just at that at that point, it was you know I was on my way out as a senior, and um, at that point, I don't know if you were in a bubble as well, athletic bubble. So um, spring of this year, mm-hmm. yeah. So we yeah. did have a season. Pac-12 was on, but uh, it was pretty much a bubble. Yeah. Our team was our bubble. Right. Um, right. At, at some points, it was like five of us living together. At some points, we literally only saw each other, yeah. which is crazy to think of now because like the amount of things that changed from January of 2021 to May of 2021 is insane. Yeah. Like we went from literally like our plans on Friday nights, Saturday nights was like, all right, let's like order food and watch a movie <laughs> to like having a formal at the end of the season yeah. and like being completely fine with it. Right. And it's, it's crazy to see how much changed and, and how crazy that was. But did you guys, so I'm, I'm just realizing this because your fourth season didn't come up on, yeah. on the website. And I just realized that your conference wasn't on, right? Yeah. We didn't have, we had some, um, meets that were, just kind of put together last minute and kind of organized, but we didn't have, so at the end there, we kind of, I was in that bubble for, for three months. Um, and we had a cross country season. I, I only ran one meet a year for cross country cause I was more middle distance focused. So, um, 
I only kind of, we kind of used, middle distance people kind of used that as like a little bit of a workout kind of, and it was our home meet, it was called Bronco Invitational, and so it was a Santa Clara hosted meet, so everyone kind of ran it um, as support for sort of the school, but that cross country season we had, we only had one conference race, and I think it was in March, um, and it was sort of just a hodgepodge of who had been, I mean, at that point, our, Santa Clara was one of the strictest counties in terms of letting um, people back on campus in term, and just the county in general, but Santa Clara University, we had so many protocols that we had to follow through and it was that was at the beginning of getting the testing and doing the testing three times a week and being in the bubble and I lived in a house with eight girls, of eight of us total, okay. so we were just inside all the time as well. And as a senior, um, I think, I mean, 100%, I always say this, if I had been a junior, things would have been completely different. I think my perspective would have just, I would have just had a different perspective on this, but as a senior, I was just start, I had, I, my best friend in, in, um, on the team, her name's Sarah King, her and I were the seniors in the, in the house and, and a lot of the seniors had chosen to opt out earlier, um, from the year. And just at the, that point, there was still so much up in the air, whether or not we we're going to have a season and you kind of had to commit to the bubble before having, before the season even started, there was just a kind of a lot up in the air. And, um, at that point I just mentally was so drained and was just physically and mentally so, um, exhausted that the thought of being in the bubble till the end of my senior year was incredibly scary. And we only had about six weeks of senior year left. So, um, I think our team had three or four other meets, um, and then, but most, all the seniors pretty much kind of opted out, um, myself included. And we just kind of finished out the year. It was kind of just a weird, now that I'm thinking about it, it was a very anticlimactic end to the, yeah. to the year, just because I didn't, I felt like I didn't have, um, I didn't have the ending that I wanted. I didn't, I didn't come out with a personal best that I could have, could, you know, kind of hang a star on just like, you know, some other teams, my personal best is the same as, you know, you know, having a championship under your belt or, no. um, and with, like we said earlier, it's just kind of you versus you, you versus the clock and the clock. I, sometimes I felt like the clock kind of beat me cause I didn't, I didn't have the race. I didn't have the necessarily have the opportunities to, I wish I could have had to kind of really prove myself in that way. So that's sort of why I kind of rely on that junior year and training cycle and that, you know, 17 mile run as weird as it sounds, because I, that just proved so much more to me. I realized that I, it didn't need to be about this time that I had always been searching for. You know, I had put, I had put 214, 213 on my, on my door when I was in like seventh grade above my door. And every time I left the house, I would like slap it because I was like, Oh, that's what I want to, that's the time I want to run. And I definitely feel like I could have achieved that. And, um, I just, you know, obviously you can't control things and you can't control a pandemic happening in the middle of your college career. But, um, but yeah, I mean, looking back on it, I am so grateful to have had that opportunity and to have been a part of a Division One team and that kind of culture. To, it made me who I was and it gave me my friends and my family and my work ethic. And, you know, it just it was such a pivotal part for me. But the end was was just sad because it, it, it didn't it didn't it didn't really end the way I, I wish it, it did. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, all of senior year was essentially in that bubble. Um, 
and so much of my my best friends on the team had all opted out and we were all just kind of trying to figure out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to best serve the team while also best serving ourselves and I think ultimately the <laughs> pandemic didn't didn't serve up the best opportunity for that but um, still the athletic department did an awesome job with with making the bubble even happen yeah. regardless of competition and not so um, so yeah I think that that part of it was just it was awesome to be a part of but yeah I'm, I know that you know what I mean in terms of when you're thinking about the bubble because it was it was something it was else. A lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's actually very interesting to me because your whole experience, the way you described it, freshman year especially, I was very rattled uh, as well, and and I had a a very it was a learning experience right. for sure. It's my three years at Cal or, or two and a half right now um, have been a learning experience. That's just how it's been, and I'm extremely thankful for it because if it had gone the same way as it did in high school, I just wouldn't have grown. Right. Um, but since I relate so much to it, I feel like your your 17 mile um, run mm-hmm. was just like a big moment for you as an athlete, even though it wasn't at Santa Clara, even though the time wasn't recorded because you just showed that you're capable of it. You know, mm-hmm. you proved it to yourself and it's that you versus you thing again, because mm-hmm. even if you say the clock did beat you at times, it was you versus you and you realized that, you know, that's that's enough. I mean, maybe, maybe it'd be nice to have a certain time or to win a certain meet or or whatever it may be, but you prove to yourself and you know that that's enough. There's a a great story of two authors, Kurt Vonnegut and uh, Joe Heller. Mm -hmm. Um, And well, it's actually a poem. Uh, Vonnegut wrote it for Heller. It's called Joe Heller. But the two authors were basically at a billionaire's party and the, the billionaire was just hosting this event and the two authors were off to the side, not, not really fitting in. And Vonnegut wants to mess with Heller. And he says, hey, uh, Joe, how does it make you feel that our host for tonight's party made more money yesterday alone than your best novel ever will? And he said, he replied by saying, I have something he never will. And he said, what in the hell can that be? And he replied, enough. And I think that that's like very special. And honestly, the story kind of pisses me off at times because I'm a very ambitious person. So it's Mm -hmm. like, no, like go for more. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it's those moments when you're like, I did it and I don't have to prove it to anyone else. And I don't have to have a recorded time and I don't have to have a medal to know that I did it. And that's enough. And and I think that it's, it's a great way to, to view it. And I'm glad you were able to, to do that run, even if everything else didn't work out. Yeah. Wow. That, that story just gave me chills. I love that. Yeah. That is, that is exactly, that is exactly what I'm talking about. It, 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 it turned, I realized so much in that year, aside from running and just understanding that there's just so much that exists beyond being an athlete. And I think I realized that the magnitude of that moment, obviously a lot, everything, the COVID, COVID taught people a lot of things, yeah. but I think I realized that in that moment and to realize that, yeah, I, my career might not look the way I, I wanted it to at the beginning, but looking back on it, I, it, it completely made me who I was. It turned me into a leader. It turned me into a deep thinker. It turned me into a writer. It turned me into just, some, you know, when I was, when I was injured, my sophomore year was when I, um, join the newspaper and I, I think if I had been full time training I wouldn't have been able to ex- expand so much of my time limit into and put so much time into writing so I think the world has a weird way of kind of get, coming full circle and giving 
things back when you need it and, and um, thinking back on this experience definitely did just that. I'll, I'll go off of a, a little <laughs> other story to, to go off of that. Um, there is a book called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Um, I mentioned that guy's name way too much on this podcast. <laughs> he is by far my favorite author. Um, and that book basically goes on to show you it, it's a it's a very stoic way of saying that everything happens for a reason you know it's not a positive book or, or like yeah. optimist or anything it's that's not what it's about it's just to show you that you're not in control of what happens to you you're in control of how you respond and for example you went through that injury you got into writing mm-hmm. i tore my meniscus earlier this year i created this podcast <laughs> you know and the obstacle does become the way and i'd like to just like talk a bit more about that like how right. how was it that you got into journalism what was it that made it interesting for you like how was that process because for me I've always been into communication so Mm -hmm. ever since Mm -hmm. I was ever since I got social media on my phone (laughs) like I wasn't posting like I am today but everyone would like mess with me because I would post way too much right right that's just who I was you know and I would record everything Uh like that's just who I was I would record and post everything and my friends would always give me shit for it Mm -hmm. um but later I started developing like writing in high school and I'm like whoa I really like to write Mm -hmm. and I joined the Augustinian and I was the sports writer at the Augustinian my by my senior year and it was so much fun yeah but but that's how like I was like yeah um I'll continue writing and and all those sorts of things and now I have a blog it's like the Kalman soccer blog and I do it but that's how I found out how do you do that until your senior or not senior year until your college years and then form a major around around that yeah good question I think the obstacle was the way for most of my freshman year in terms of my academics okay I came into Santa Clara as a public health major because I wanted to be an athletic trainer and for some reason I just loved I went to a lot of physical therapy my my senior year of high school I had I dealt with a lot of injury too for running and um, so I thought, oh, I'm kind of interested in this. I'll, I'll declare this as my major. And, and then I took, um, it was literally called, I think it was like chemistry one, oh no, it was chemistry 11, one, basically just intro chem. Yeah. And I quickly realized that that was not the class or the curriculum for me. I, I must have put in, I think I put in 17, I counted once, 17 hours of studying to get a passing grade of a C minus. I, it was, I was terrible at chemistry. Laugh, like I laugh, I can be, I can laugh at myself here. Cause it was most of my friends to give me shit for it too. I was just really not good at chemistry, but I, that was the kind of the only way forward with public health. And so I, my freshman year, right after that first quarter, I was like, okay, I need to get the hell out of here. <laughs> um, you know, the business school, they accept transfers. Maybe I could, you know, do some type of you know, sports management someday, or I just, I knew I wanted, I wanted to focus on sports so badly. Cause they just, it, they're ingrained in my soul. I feel like they're such a lifeline for me. And, um, it's just kind of all I know knew. So I was like, okay, I definitely want to stay in sports, maybe sports management. Maybe I could sports psychology. Psychology is kind of cool, you know, law school, maybe sports aging. I don't know. Like I was kind of throwing around all these ideas and I, I just kind of went back to the drawing board and I took a class called writing for publication and it was with my my favorite professor. His name's Mike Malone. Um, he's a big mentor of mine. He uh, basically we had to write a memoir, and I was one of the assignments. And 
sort of along the, it was writing for publication. It was sort of essentially like creative nonfiction too. Um, and I wrote this mem- memoir about baseball and how baseball has sort of just my perspective on it through my eyes. And I turned it in for the grade and he called me, um, you know, after class one day and it was like, you should really think on, about submitting this to the, to the newspaper, the college newspaper. We always need people to write. You should really think about it. And so I was like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. And, um, I submitted this to the newspaper as part of my sort of application. And I knew enough about, you know, baseball and football to sort of get by, but, um, my sophomore year was, like I said, when I right when I got injured, and that was sort of around the time when I really pursued it and got hired there. And um, there was an open position in the sports writing just department. It's just a staff writer, and um, I just fell in love with it right away. I didn't really realize how good at writing I was until then. Um, so anyway, I have I have a twin sister. Um, her name's Ivy. She actually she went to OP two and she went to Cal Poly and studied journalism too. And just the nature of twins, I think at the eighth, eighth grade high school level when you're just kind of trying to form your own identity and figure your own shit out um and figure out what you want to do and um she she was an athlete too she played volleyball at, at OLP but and then she played a little bit of club volleyball at Cal Poly um but she had declared journalism and so I was like oh I just want to do the opposite of that I'll do science stuff and then I kind of realized, okay, well, I'm really good at this writing thing, but I didn't really want to like step on her toes and claim journalism. So I didn't really, I didn't really declare my major for a little while. I just kind of stuck with the sports writing aspect, but it was still so woven in sports that I really just found my way. And obviously, it's silly now. She loves the fact that I'm that I'm a writer too. But um, she she's kind of more focused on PR slash movie. She loves like film okay. writing and stuff, like more the arts stuff. Um, not as interested in sports, so there's your difference. Yeah, so there, yeah, so which is really cool too. Um, but but yeah, so my uh, my sophomore year at the end of the year, I just realized, okay, this is 100% what I want to do. I just found my groove in it. I loved. I'm a huge. I'm an incredibly curious person. I I relate a lot to what you're doing right now, and it's it's a inspiring and be very relatable. Um, and yeah, I think we would get along super well. Because I, I was about to say, yeah, that is 100% me. <laughs> I'm just like so, I'm driven by storylines. I'm driven by people, what people add. I love to make and learn about what make people tick. And I love to double click into issues. And yes. I'm just fascinated by people. Yes. And you. that side of journalism just captured me. And um, even though, I, you know, I was, a lot of times when I first started out, the editor-in-chief was just assigning, you know, game stories, going over to you know, going to cover a game or writing a, a game recap or a game preview or interviewing athletes, kind of doing the more conventional standard or writing about a national story aligned in sports. And a lot of that stuff te- taught me, you know, it was the foundation of, of journalism for me, learning how to pitch stories and cover teams and draft interviews and all that. But I was still just so, I was driven by a lot more with within just sports. And like I said, being injured, I think I just kind of dove into the journalism world and kind of created, I, you, I kind of joke, you know, you, you spend 20 hours of your week as a collegiate athlete practicing. And during that time I couldn't go to practice. So I was in the pool. I was actually, oh my gosh, I got it really into swimming cause I couldn't run. So I swam a lot during practice time, but then I would also, because I couldn't be physically there at practice, I would spent a lot of that time writing and 
um, I can't remember necessarily what the original moment must have been, but I remember sitting down and, and thinking back to the baseball days and just thinking back to sort of this overall idea of women's sports and women's coverage. And I realized, okay, well, a lot of the stories that I've written are about men and about male sports and about issues obviously that have to do with, you know, wins and losses and game stories and, and, and that kind of story, those kinds of storylines. But I sort of slowly started realizing the bigger picture to, especially surrounding COVID and surrounding a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement and just kind of realizing how much gravity there is to the world. And once I, you know, COVID happened, I started realizing just there's so much more to being an athlete and so much more to this platform that I'm given. I kind of realized, okay, I actually really kind of want to start my own column. Um, And I went to the sports editor or the editor at the time, the manager of the newspaper, and I said to both of them, I said, I, I really want to start this column and I want it to kind of focus on more marginalized topics in sports, um, you know, gender issues, gender inequality, racial justice, um, sort of issues that go beyond just the average game story. And my, they were super, super supportive and they said, absolutely go for it. So I started this weekly column and I called it Sideline Chatter. Um, and looking back on it, it's just a funny title because there's just... It, some of these stories were, were a lot bigger than I was, and I some of the times I felt a little uncomfortable writing them. Um, but that's sort of how I really just dove into it. I just kind of took a risk, and it was, you know, that professor, Mike Malone, who told me, you know, you should really go for this. And, um, and yeah, that's sort of how I segued into it. Not a pretty start to the journalism career, but definitely one that uh, was, was very needed at the time. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Make sure to subscribe to my podcast and follow me on my personal social media accounts for more. All at Fer Andraes. All links are in the description. If this episode inspired you in any way, please help me out by sharing it with a friend to help them leave their dent in the universe as well. That's it for today. I'll see you all next time.